at 6.32 p.m. First, I will do a roll call. So please say here when I say your name, Vice Chair Jory. Here. Commissioner Gabby. Here. Commissioner MJ. Here. Commissioner Here. Michelle. Here. Commissioner Jonathan. Here. Commissioner Malenta. Here. Commissioner Chloe. I think she's absent for today. Uh, staff, do we have Parks and Community Service Director Lynn? Human Services Manager Jen? Here. Human Service Coordinator Annie? Here. Youth Service Coordinator Reggie? Here. And Human Service Coordinator Amanda? Here. Okay, I believe tonight, um, Melantha will be reading the land acknowledgement. Melantha, do you want me to pull it up or do you have it? If you will pull it up, that'll be fantastic. Perfect. Thank you for sharing your screen. Okay. <clears throat> we acknowledge that the Southern Sahelish Sea region lies on the unceded and in ancestral land of the coast of the Coast Salalish peoples, the Duwamish, Muckleshoot, Puyallup, Skykomish, Snoqualmie, Snohomish, Suquamish, and Tulalip tribes, and other tribes of the Puget Sound Salalish people, of the Puget Sound Salalish people, and the present day city of Kirkland is in the traditional heartland of the lake people of and the river people. We honor with gratitude the land itself. The first people who we reserve treaty rights and continue to live here since time, since time immoral and their ancestral heritage. Great. Thank you, great work. All right, with that, uh, who would like to read the next month meetings uh, on the land acknowledgement. I believe I haven't done it in a while, so I'll oh nope. and I'll I'll volunteer myself. <laughs> sure. All right. Okay, next uh, we have approval of minutes from January 24th of last month. Um, if there are no further discussions on that minutes, I would love a motion to approve uh, the meeting minutes as is. Motion to approve the meeting minutes from January 24th as is. All right. Thank you, Jory. Do I hear a second? I second that motion. All right. Any further discussions? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Abstentions? MJ abstains. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I have to abstain because I wasn't here. Okay. Gabby abstains. Thank you. Okay. Motion carries. All right. Next. Um, Reggie, do we have any guests for tonight? Hold on. Let me take a look. Um, we do have someone in there. Um, I'm not sure if they want to speak or they're just um, attending a meeting. So. Let's see. Can... We ask them to raise their hand if they want to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and if um you're interested in speaking, if you could raise your hand, let us know. 
I believe it may be someone who's thinking of applying if I am remembering the name correctly. So that may be what's happening. Ah. All right, so I am currently not seeing a hand risen. So therefore, we will take it that the audience period and that is now closed. Um, the attendees are more than welcome to stay uh, through this meeting. Okay, first on the business items, um, Jen, I believe uh, the item is yours. So as part of the 23-24 Human Service Grant recommendation process, we did set up two buckets of funds to award at a later date to support the Black and Amer African Amer American community and, and Indigenous community. I believe the staff have, have prepared some recommendations that we presented tonight. Um, and we, the staff are seeking directions on which recommendation this commission is wanting to pursue and what additional information that we may they may need. So I'm gonna hand over to Annie, who is gonna lead us through the recommendation options. Annie, take it away. Thanks, Gildas. <clears throat> if you can all bear with me for just a moment, I'm getting ready to set it up on my end. So um, we'll start here in just a moment. All right, can you all hear me? And are you seeing my screen, screen okay? Yeah, we can, yeah, yeah. can see your screen. Awesome, okay. So here we go. Human services set aside funding. Our recommendations for 2023 and 2024. Um, before we start, if um, you would all do me um, the favor of holding questions until after the presentation. This will be relatively short to allow for a more robust conversation and a Q&A at the end. So just make note of the questions that you have as we go along. All right, um, to, and to start off, um, I, just wanna, I just wanna start by saying it's really important to point out that the terms that we're using to categorize and uh, or, or identify people in communities can be limiting when in fact they are really broad and often overlapping with one another. Um, so I, I wanna make sure that we understand that we often create monoliths when we when folks are really, they, they're existing on a spectrum. So we also wanna um, allow folks to uh, identify themselves in the way that they choose. So I just wanted to start off with that. And, and that just comes about with, you know, these, these two specific categories that we're talking about. So to start us off, background and rationale. Um, so as we were starting this um, conversation way back when, if you all can remember, um, the end of last year, um, there were some things that were highlighted in um, uh, how you all, the commission, um, were hoping we could utilize these additional funds. Uh, you advocated for them and you received them, and that was amazing. So a few of the things I wanna highlight that we thought about when we were putting these together, um, thinking about alternative approaches. So how do we meet community needs that promote, promote, you know, the, uh, promote and support sense of well-being? Um, 
being culturally responsive um, and, and focusing on nuanced programming. So, you know, sometimes it's maybe not so nuanced. Um, you know, this serves to prioritize community need in a way that is accessible and inviting and inclusive. Um, some examples of that may be programming that includes interpretation um, uh, that serves folks who are, are part of the community. Um, so that interpretation is done within the community, right? Materials produced in language at the onset, and they're not translated from English versions, right? They're created in language. Um, consideration of cultural practices and how services are provided. So those are just a few examples of what we're talking about when we talk about culturally responsive and nuanced programming. Investment in individual and community talent, expertise, and knowledge. So this approach is, um, you know, that we that we use, the approaches that we use, I'm sorry, often um, come from the idea of helping um, and that there is an assumption that we collectively make that we need to save or to help folks. And what, what would it look like if we reframe that um, if we consider that in a different way and as more of an investment in communities, um, at, you know, communities who are already doing this work and they're doing the work in ways that center their own narrative stories and their talents. Shifting away from traditional or mainstream programming and interventions. So we often center our strategies and our, our approaches on things that have been done historically, but have no connection to or not rooted in the communities in which we are focusing on. So this is an opportunity to shift away from those practices. So recommendation number one, speaker series. So with the opening of the Kirkland Teen Union building that's scheduled um, in the fall, there's an opportunity to utilize that space um, to use some of those set-aside fundings to invest in culturally responsive enrichment programs through implementing a speaker series for youth. The programming would be led by BIPOC leaders from the East Side community. So speakers would be invited to quarterly to share knowledge and expertise in areas such as traditional art, poetry, music, science, storytelling, and area history, just about anything that we can imagine. This programming would be an interactive experience and include uh, hands-on activities with community leaders and youth. You know, this kind of nurtures that BIPOC youth interest in art, scientists, science, sorry, sciences and academia, et cetera. And it directly connects them with opportunities to build a sense of community and contribute to overall well-being with a lens that is culturally appropriate. Recommendation number two, community art project. So this, this um, option um, is a recommendation to contract with a local BIPOC artist or artist to co-create an art installation in the city of Kirkland. The contract would work with a group of community members on that project. The location would be identified in partnership with the city of Kirkland, um, local schools, and or local businesses. Um, the outcome from this project is centering the identified communities and their stories and experiences to create conversation, to exchange knowledge and wisdom and to provide space for better understanding and representation in the city. Investing in the talent, knowledge and expertise of BIPOC artists is necessary in the movement towards a more equitable community. 
representation matters. This option to use an alternative approach to caring for the collective community's well-being in a more holistic way while investing in people, treasuring their talents and honoring how they connect our community outside of the formal provision of social services or resources. Oops, sorry. Hang on, exit out of that. So recommendation number three, expanding the funding criteria. So this option um, really is thinking about broadening the criteria beyond supporting Black and African-American and Native American Indigenous folks to include additional communities who identify as BIPOC or programs serving the greater King County area. So if, the, if this criteria were expanded, the additional communities um, could include Asian American folks, Pacific Islanders, Latina, Latine, Latino, Latinx, and Hispanic community members, and others that may not fit neatly into, this, into those ascribed racial and ethnic categories. So expanding the funding criteria to include additional Kirkland BIPOC communities helps the city reach agency programs that are doing intentional outreach on the east side or extend that funding to services provided to identified populations in places where there is already established agencies and programs serving those communities because those populations are more centralized there. So there are very limited programs and services that solely focus on the priority populations using the current criteria. So as an example to share, staff recently learned um, following the completion of the 21-22 human services contracts that there's uh, an, an existing grant that was supporting outreach to um, Black youth um, that no longer really needed that funding support. The agency reported that the Black youth agency staff were outreaching to um, were really not requiring that additional resource and support um, instead, that agency was asking that we expand the that they that they are able to expand the focus of programming to support all BIPOC youth for 23-24 funding. So recommendation number four, supporting existing programs that are receiving funding. So this option recommends allocating additional funding to 23-24 awards that were recommended and approved by City Council. Such programs that serve BIPOC communities were not fully funded as part of the 2023-2024 budget approvals. So staff could present the commission with a list and recommendations of additional funding allocations to BIPOC agencies that did not receive full funding for this biennium grant cycle. So this option provides funding to make whole those agency programs that did not receive their full funding ask, strengthening the agency's ability to better meet community needs. And finally, recommendation number five is request for proposals. So this option for request for proposal, the RFP process identifies, this RFP project identifies an objective by the city, identifies an objective that's, that's identified by the city and asks those interested with the expertise in those areas to apply. So staff would include the priority populations and collect submissions from agencies whose work aligns with serving black and or indigenous um, community members. So this approach provides agencies the opportunity to create services more intentionally 
and potentially in a new and innovative way that they currently do not have funding resources to support. So those are our options. We also included the memo in the packet that included um, other information um, like, you know, that identified the benefits and the challenges because none of these um, options are without challenges. They all have different challenges that, that may come up in the process, but um, for the most part, this is what we came up with. And um, I'm going to stop my share. And I'm going to hand it back to you all for conversation. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Annie. Um, by any chance, you could put up the a slide where it has all the four options just so that we have it in our purview. Or... Don't know that we have a single one. We do have um, in the memo. I guess we could put up the memo to look at directly. Would that? Yeah, be that'd be great. Okay. Yeah. I'll go ahead and do that. Thank yeah, you. But the memo has like uh, covers that like in four pages. So you mm -hmm. you're not going to have them in one single page. If, if you can, you if yeah, that is what you wanted. Correct. You don't have one. I could put it, I could put list them in the chat or you could just work your way down. Yeah, we could do that. The, the pages, however yeah. you want to do it. Yeah. So let's, I love your uh, recommendation about just kind of talking through each of the recommendations. Um, I see hands up. So I'll go with uh, Jonathan first and then Jen. Um, can I actually, sorry, can I jump ahead before we open it up to discussion? Yep. Um, so Michelle had put some information that she had gathered through some community engagement, and I was hoping she could share it with the commission as well to include that in part of the larger discussion. Okay. You want me to go ahead and do that now, Jen? Yeah, just take a couple of minutes to summarize okay. the email. So, all right. So um, I had, I had mentioned, I have a, a fellow graduate student who is in uh, my program who is uh, worked, I believe, with the Department of the Interior and part of the Tulalip tribe. And so we got together and with this idea that you were talking about possibly an RFB, uh, RFP request for a proposal. And so I thought, let's see, I thought I'd see what she, if she has any thoughts. So um, her prior, her first concern was that she said, if our funds are intended to serve our, you know, population of Kirkland, she said a lot of uh, people uh, are uh, folks who are part of the Tulalip tribe and Snoqualmie tribe and so forth are really living in other areas. So she, that was her first concern. But then when we had more conversation, one of the suggestions she uh, had was that she gave me some other um, suggestions of things we could look into, but I won't go into all the uh, recommendations. Uh, for example, the intergovernmental affairs at King County, uh, she thought would have information for us and so forth. So I won't go into all those, but uh, one of the suggestions she had was to look at the Johnson O'Malley funds that are federal funds that provide scholarships for Native American students. And, uh, and so when I started looking into that, that sort of one thing led to another. 
And where it took me was um, eventually was to something called the East Side Native American Program and the Lake Washington School District Native American Education Program. Oh, sorry, I'm having problems with my camera. I'll just turn my camera off so it doesn't look like the northern lights are going through my office. Um, so, uh, so I found out that there are these two, two programs uh, linked, it seems linked programs, uh, serving Native American students in the Lake Washington School District. And that got me and there's a woman named Mary Wilbur, who would be the contact for that. And so I didn't go further because I thought, well, I'll ask the commission if you'd like me to give her a call and try to do more, uh, find out more about the program. But I did think as I thought more about it, I thought given the, the May report by the US Department of the Interior that about the Indian boarding schools, that there were 400 schools that the federal government ran between around 1880s and 1960s that I believe it's been a lot in the news. So probably most of us are, are aware of this. And of those 400 schools, about 15 of these boarding schools were in Washington state. And because they were forcibly removing children and their families, and this caused a lot of trauma, it just made me feel that a program that supports students and supports their cultural um, exploration with programs that would rev uh, revolve around language and culture, as well as academic support, that it just would be a timely thing to uh, to consider supporting, given the the uh, the terrible suppression of their culture and language that happened. And so that's that's what I know at this point, and I would be happy to research it further by finding out more about this program and how many students they serve and the details of their programming. Thank you. Thanks, see if Michelle. I, see if my so that, that would be option six. Okay. Throw that in there. Okay, Jonathan, start us off. Great, thank you. A um, couple questions to start off high level. Um, were these presented in any priority order? I know you had a one, two, three, four, five. I think <clears throat> yes and no. I you know ultimately you all get to choose um where where this lands. I think um the most outside the box I think from top to bottom is kind of how that went from my perspective. Um but I don't I don't know that it there was necessarily a a ranking of which is better or worse. It's just, which is more, not my favorite word, but innovative, mm -hmm. I guess. Thank and, you. Next question is, um, how much communication actually occurred with, um, let's just start with the black community. Like, did we talk to the, uh, the East Side's Right to Breathe Committee? Did we talk to the NAACP, Urban League, um, Duwamish Tribe, other tribes? Uh, so and so forth, or like like doing the work that Michelle did. Did any of that uh, happen to happen? No, we felt confident based on our relationships in the community and pulsing with folks on those different groups, pretty confident in these recommendations. Okay, great. Um, so my um, just my comment before I go on mute is um, I think this is um, 
just off the top, I mean, I think it's great work that was invested in doing the research to come up with the recommendations. And I appreciate the challenges and the benefits of each one. I thought it was very thoroughly um, presented. Um, uh, but I think it's premature um, to be looking at recommendations. I think um, the commission should be in uh, an information gathering mode. Um, and I think I may have mentioned at the last meeting that um, I'd like to actually bring in uh, representation from, you know, there's a phrase that some of you may be familiar with, nothing for me without me. And I think that um, the Human Service Commission needs to see and talk to members of the Black community and, and hear their voice. Um, and the same with the Indigenous people. This was specifically focused on them. And I think I'd like to have them come to, um, you know, one to each meeting and, and have a dialogue and start a relationship so we understand what those needs may be. And, and to Annie's great point about being innovative. I mean, I think like, let's brainstorm with them. Let's have like a working meeting where we talk about what's possible. This came from the heart of, um, of remedies or even the word reparations uh, for the uh, horrible atrocities that have happened in this country to the black people and to the indigenous people. And how can we be innovative about what, why are we only at 1.7% black in, in Kirkland? Why are we only at 0.5% indigenous? There's a reason for that. People aren't feeling welcome. They're not building homes here. They're not staying here. Um, look at our, you know, our commission, <laughs> you know, so like we need to do some work and find out how we can create a community that is more welcoming. And this may even be like, like I loved um, uh, uh, Councilman Falcone's comment about like the, the idea of $10,000 for each for each year was really a placeholder till we could come up with some uh, specific dollar amounts that would be meaningful. Um, and she said, like, we need to find out how much can really make an impact. And they were open to hearing, like, is it six figures? You know, what is it? You know, well into six figures? I don't know. But I think we need to do some research and and uh, and learn more uh, before we get into recommendations. So I think these are great. And these may be where we end up landing. But I think nothing happens for these communities without these communities. And, and so I'd like to have them come to our meetings. And I'll thank you. I'll stop. I'd like to respond to that if I can. Um, I think you make some excellent points about kind of the council's commitment to really looking at what is the holistic need. And I would say off the top of my head and looking at intergenerational wealth, especially when we look at different demographic categories, you're looking in the millions if we're talking about reparations and we look at who had access to home ownership, things like that. Um, I think something that we prioritized in creating the list of recommendations is feedback that we've gotten from communities of color that often the city is coming in and asking for information they've already provided to us and that we are not listening and acting. And that comes from the different committees and the groups that you'd mentioned. These recommendations also do reflect what we've learned from organizations that we are currently funding that are defined as BIPOC organizations. So specifically for the indigenous community, it's a really challenging fork in the road. Our DEIB team is currently working on building relationships um, with different indigenous communities and tribes. And it's been difficult in the sense that 
often the city comes with an ask instead of interest in building the relationship first. And that often throws a bit of concern and caution when we look at, you know, how different systems have in particular treated the indigenous community and communities. Because we often talk about indigenous community as a monolith, um, and so including myself. And so I'm trying to be more cognizant of that. And so I think I'm, I'm a little wary of and stuck, if I'm being honest about what folks in the Indigenous community I would feel comfortable reaching out and inviting into this space, and if it's appropriate for us to do that at this point. I think to your point, the 10,000 is a starting point, and perhaps in additional conversations and learnings, maybe we realize that we can't provide funding for the next three to five years because we need to focus on the relationship building before we come in with money and kind of this, what do you want to, how do you want us to spend this? And so I think that's a tension I just want to call out and kind of how we hold getting community feedback, the community feedback we've received from some of these communities and how to best move forward. So I just want to offer that in light of the larger discussion um, as folks are talking through the recommendations and next steps. Yeah, I and I do want to add to that. <clears throat> I tried to be very thoughtful in, in the work that I presented tonight. So um, to Jen's point, there have been very um, deep conversations that I have been honored to be a part of. I've learned a lot from other folks in the community um, in uh, especially this this idea that um, we are requesting additional labor from folks. Um, and historically how that has has happened. Um, yeah, it takes time to to build relationships. Um, and, we also have an opportunity to start that relationship building, right? So, um, so these weren't the, these aren't recommendations that came out of nowhere. It came with a lot of thought and a lot of conversation and understanding. Like it's one of the tensions is you know we we call everybody in and have this panel and then say goodbye thank you that was really nice and there's no further connection to that um king county promotors has been um a, a great um mentor to me in those processes and sharing a lot of that um you know there have been tense moments in in overwhelmingly beautiful moments of learning in that too that came from that. So, you know, I just, I, I hope that you feel that like those were not recommendations that came out of the air. There was, there was lots that, that came with that. There were other conversations like the, the art project. If you read through the memo, I share some of the focus groups that I've been able to work, work in, in hearing some of those ideas of, of how we can connect folks in the community and, and bridge those gaps with art and healing. So anyway, I just wanted to add that part of it. I, I think that 
Um, often we ask for additional labor and, it, you know, we'd start somewhere in the middle. Um, to your point, Jonathan, um, and creating relationships is really important. And we have an opportunity to, to utilize some funding for some really amazing projects to maybe that works to, to create some trust um, and, and moves the needle just a bit in that direction. Thank you so much for the background, Jen and Annie, um, and the thoughtfulness that you all have put into the recommendations. Um, Michelle, you I know you have your hands up. Um, do you mean to have your hands up? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, I thought there were some really wonderful ideas and uh, programs and that there was my camera again. Uh, there uh, were some wonderful programs and ideas that were presented that uh, Annie presented. So I thank you for that. Um, I did agree with Jonathan that um, I'm sure uh, Annie's done her research, but I think for the rest of us to be more um, informed about what all the options and possibilities would be, I, I with Jonathan, I would support uh, further uh, further research and 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 that if uh, if folks feel that it's uh, maybe inappropriate to be reaching out and trying to get, you know, feedback without building relationships first. Well, there's a lot of research that can be done uh, in other ways. I did wonder with the um, art project. So I thought the speaker series was very interesting because it did look like that would really in, engage students uh, are, who are uh, Indigenous, Native American, or Black students, and I thought that would want sounded like a wonderful idea. I wondered about the art project. Um, I wasn't clear was that going to was that going to include since it's a community art project. Was that going to be was the professional artist going to be the leader, but be engaging uh, youth in that? Uh, our are uh, youth going to be part of the whole artistic process? How I wasn't clear on how that was going to work. Yeah, and and I would also direct you to the memo. There's a section in there that talks about that and has links as well to other community art projects that have uh, happened, not just on you know in King County, but on the east side as well. Um, I think it would it would be a collaborative effort. It would be um, I. I believe it, it would be led by artists, either an artist group or an artist. Um, there is There are several collectives there um, in King County um, working with a group of community members. How that process works is kind of like, that's the cool part of it. Like y'all can decide and be a part of like how that process works and, and who, who is able to um, uh, participate in that. But for the most part, that's that would be a collaborative effort. And that can include um, Lake Washington School District schools, um, the city would help in finding some sort of location for that, whether it be a city location, maybe there is a business. Um, again, I, I included a link to um, a local, I think it was a, a salmon or a fish um, uh, themed uh, mural that was done. Um, so there's lots of different ways. And I think that's a really cool part of it. Like, and what's really interesting about it, right, is that it's kind of uh, um, up in the air, right? And that's, uh, uh, you all get to to be a part of that creative process of like how that works. 
but it would be, you know, creating community within the community. Hey. Thank uh, you. Melantha, then Gabby. Okay. Um, hi, guys, again. I wanted to just say when I was reading the memo, yes, very well put together. Really do appreciate all of the thorough stuff that you put into it. Um, I noticed how it really did transition, if you will, from like things that were going to be more engaging and hands on um, to really just going back to like funding, which is the traditional stuff I think that we're talking a little bit more about. And then my kind of questions were like, if it's a speaking series, how many youth are we actually going to get engaged? How many people are actually going to get touched by that? Because a lot of times some people go to speaking series and sometimes not, and usually sometimes the same people. How are we gonna get more people in there to make sure it's really reaching and spreading into the community? Um, and that would be something that I would consider. Um, also with option two, um, I was wondering, it sounds like it would only it would be a mural that would only be one location or something. And I know that this was like a process and I was thinking, is it going to be multiple locations? And then with the people who are going to be the ones deciding who they who where this is going to go which you said it was going to be the city the business leaders lake washington school district possibly are there people within that group that are going to make a decision that are representate representative of the people who are going to be doing the mural so it's not like we're just doing it and someone else is putting it where they want it um and I'm sorry, I'm, I have notes. I'm just going to kind of just scroll everything, scroll through things. Um, option can we, three. Can I? Oh, I go ahead. I won't remember long enough. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so let, me, let me touch on the first two. So the first one was, how will this touch the speaker series? I think that is um, yet to be seen. I, we were really thinking about this in connection with KTUB, which is the Kirkland Teen mm -hmm. Building. And once that is open and running, so um, that's a variable. Um, I do also want to remind folks that the amount of money, so there is this tension, right, of um, uh, compensation for folks that is not just, um, you know, that is meaningful compensation, that we're really um, paying fo folks and valuing the, their talents, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't equate to a, a huge amount of money once you look at it. So was it, you know, 10,000 per different category or communities um, per year. So um, how we would divide that up, right? $2,500 um, per quarter doesn't go a long way. Um, so I think that would be one of the challenges. I think I mentioned that. But hopefully, you know, we're able to get enough young people in there um, in KTUB. Um, there may be a different venue that we can use. We have some really great channels out in the community to um, share that information that these events are coming up. Uh, it's an opportunity to partner with other organizations, maybe like Eastside for All, right, to, to be able to provide that opportunity, maybe even a hybrid option so that folks can also attend from home. So it has a farther, wider reach to folks. Um, your second question, who decides? I don't know. Those were just examples. That's None of that is set in stone. That's really going to be flexible. Who, who gets to decide where it goes? 
I think that's more challenging because who has the space for that? Who has the the place where that, you know, it could be an art installation in a park. It could be, um, it could be a mural. It could be something. And, and that's kind of the, again, the, the um, opportunity there where um, there's lots of different avenues that that kind of art collaboration could take. <clears throat> but I, but to your point, that needs to be a collaborative kind of decision. Ultimately, it's where there is, you know, uh, availability to, to put that because we can't just choose any place, you know, that would be great. But I think that, you know, um, the city has a little more leverage in, in different areas of where that could be and get the buy-in and, and that would be a really great community um, effort. So, so that's not, that's not decided yet. Those are just kind of a, that was an aspirational, this is what it could look like. Mm -hmm. um, so none of these have been um, set in stone. This is just a starting point. Okay. And, and then could you also, you put in a num like a little graph of numbers um, with the population in your, um, in, the, in, what, in your options and the proposals. And I was just wondering if you can just kind of go over that a little bit more because I was following and then it was like the bottom 2% and adding to the funding and I kind of got lost with that a little bit. So I was wondering if you could speak on that a little bit more for clarity. Are you talking about the paragraph below the graph or? Yes, the paragraph below the graph yeah. and just. So the, yeah, and those are separate. The, so the top part is just kind of the demographics and there is okay. a link to that in the footnotes. Um, Jen, do you want to speak to um, the blurb that goes underneath it that talks about, are you talking about the organization? Yeah, I, I think I was reading and I was trying to put that with the, with what was over and I was just, I was like, I don't see this connection here. What is, yeah, so if you can just talk about those two, kind of threw me off a little bit. Yeah, so, sorry, I have a little bit of a cough. So if I make awkward pauses, it's because my throat is kind of catching. Mm -hmm. um, so in kind of digging into demographic data as the memo talks about um, the two kind of priority populations for this set aside funding are the most underrepresented in the community. And so because of that, we don't see a lot of specific programming to support Black and African American residents um, as well as Indigenous residents. And interestingly, we're currently contracting for 2023 and 2024. We have funded a program in the past that specifically supports Black youth. And it's been hosted in different spaces. It was hosted at KTEB. It's currently hosted at one of the schools in Kirkland. We received feedback from staff that the youth that were participating have receive kind of the the intention of the program they're connected with resources they feel connected to the community and staff were seeing a decrease in engagement with mm -hmm. the specific staff member supporting black youth um, in school and so they asked us to expand the scope for 23-24 to include all youth of color um, to be supported by that staff member because they felt like we invested these dollars, we've seen a change in the needs of Black youth, and now we want to adjust our programming, 
which is why we're here, right? We want to be responsive to what the needs of the community are. And so we were including that as an example of that's one of the few really specific areas of programming that we have. And we've learned that that's currently not a need. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that different kind of subpopulations within the Black community still don't have needs, but it was just an example that was relevant um, because we had the conversation a couple weeks ago when we were preparing the memo. So we wanted to include it as just something to consider as we look about, as we look at kind of what direction the commission wants to go in. That makes sense. So from my understanding, option three is is pretty much just things that are say just for black community would now be open to the BIPOC community. Correct. Okay. And, or um, expanding the reach. So still continuing with the priority um, communities, but expanding outside of maybe out and further outside of Kirkland into, um, you know, all of King County, right? So, um, cause we do know that those programs um, exist um, and, do great work, uh, but not a lot of them are centralized here in Kirkland mm-hmm. right, and are Kirkland specific. So that would be the one east of the side. options. Yeah, or the east side. Hey, um, Jen, did you want to, you have your hands up. Was that on purpose? It is, but Gabby has been patiently yep. waiting, so I will defer. Okay, so Gabby, then Jen. Uh, if you want to answer to what uh, Melantha is talking, I don't have a problem, Jen. <laughs> if you so so you so we don't lose that train of thought of about Melantha's questions or comments. I mean, if you want to respond to that, Melantha, did you have additional comments? Uh, oh, excuse me. Sorry. Um, I honestly, if we're just, I can talk about other comments later. I'll let other people talk and then I'll come back and say what I have to say about some of the other options later. So, uh, can I go? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, First, uh, I would like to thank Michelle for bringing up another option. I think it's a very good, I mean, it's, it's a very nice option. And in my mind, that is really focused or, you know, headed, targeted specifically for one of the groups that we were meaning or, or willing or I don't know, wanting to support. I mean, that, that is, for me, that is the real nature of having these funds, that we are targeting, targeting or sending it to the community that is, was designed to be, no? So I, I thank Michelle because I think that's another great idea. And, and for me, it's very targeted. It's, it's, I mean, it's really going to hit the community and it's going to hit the people that it's meant to be for. Um, the second is thank you very much, Annie, for all the thoughtfulness and all, all, the, all the gathering of that knowledge because that takes time. Gathering information from all, all the groups that you've been talking to, it's, it's, it's a long process. And, and I sh- I'm sure this has been taking you quite some time. Uh, 
And on top of that, I have a question about that knowledge that you and, and, the, and the commission or, or the staff members are gathering from these conversations. Um, what are What is the top priority from these two groups out of the list that you sent us? Because for me, it's, it's not about us, it's about them. It's, it's all about them. So uh, when we did this work uh, for the Latinx group, and um, we said, okay, these are the, the, the things that are important for this community. And then we established priorities and the community voted. I mean, it was the community that voted on those priorities. And they, they said, well, this is number one, this is number two. So it doesn't matter if for me it's more representative, the art, I mean, uh, or the, you know, the supporting uh, existing phone program. What is the priority for them? So that's, that's a great question, Gabby. <clears throat> One of the things I also want to highlight is that um, King County Promotorists did an amazing job. That work started back in 2020. 2019, end of 2019, early 2020. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, um, King County Promotoras, um, were, they were contracted by the city of Kirkland. And I've sent out the information, actually not too long ago, the community survey and information that was gathered from, from a, a community survey that was created. Um, so there was a lot of work done and engagement with the community. Um, this organization was contracted. And um, that took probably about three years from start to finish. Gabby, does that sound about right? It was, it was a few years from start to finish. If I may say my addition to that, it took that long because the city paused everything. Well, I mean, yeah, the pandemic. <laughs> I mean, we, we were doing one phase and then it took the city almost a year to take to tell us, oh yeah, continue with the next step. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it would have taken us, or it well, would have yeah. taken King County Promotors Network maybe not that long. And actually the community is not expecting, you know, after they filled up a survey, oh, one year has passed. Do yeah. you remember well, yeah. that survey? It's, it's and yeah, and my, my point being that happened during the pandemic was another <clears throat> level of, of like, uh, you know, you did some amazing work. Y'all did some amazing work. But the point being that it, but it's not a quick turnaround because there was a process, right? Oh, no, no, it no, happened in, in phases. There was phase one, phase two. Not that I think you did amazing work in the time that was given, not that it took too long, but these are long processes, right? It doesn't happen overnight. So um, so that was, that was a process um, yes. that happened. And, you know, and, getting that information, doing the outreach, the engagement, um, um, working through and synthesizing all that information. It was, it was a lot of hard work and, you know, with beautiful return, right? You had this beautiful list of, of priorities. Um, and I think that's an amazing idea. That's something that we've talked about. Um, and the funding for that if that is, is something that you may want to choose to do, maybe the funding goes to that sort of a process. But that would be step one, mm -hmm. right? To just come up with the priorities to fund something or to, to use for other 
funding kind of ideas, right? But that funding would go to that because it, it can't be that we ask folks to do this labor and not be compensated for that, right? And it takes time. And who is going to lead that? And, and I'm sure there are folks to do that, but just I'm just saying that to say, maybe that is uh, option number seven, <laughs> right? <laughs> that, that that's, you know, um, another avenue. But again, it's the process of putting out an RFP. So it may be that the RFP thing happens. Um, but we wouldn't necessarily be funding programming. Mm -hmm. What we'd be doing would be, or, or, or direct like investment in community immediately, right? It would be the beginning of. So, you know, that's kind of, you know, where my mind goes in that process. Beautiful idea. I think that's great. And to your point, right, we don't have priority lists, Gabby, um, necessarily. We've had conversations um, with folks. I think if we're going to be asking those questions and asking people to do that work, then there has to be some compensation that goes with that. We're not going to be doing that, having folks do that labor for free um, and then use that, right? Um, however we wanna use it. It's um, a, a, a longer process, which we're here for. Hopefully we're here for a, a lot longer <laughs> to do that type of a process. But anyway, maybe that's number seven. Hey, I'm gonna uh, chime in. <laughs> I'm raising my hand. <laughs> great, great conversations going uh, here. And um, Gabby and, and Annie, and this might be kind of very similar to what you both were talking about. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of an experience that I've had. Um, so, you know, Nationally speaking, the API communities in, in regards to the supporting, you know, organizations, we're fairly like disjointed here and there. Uh, and one of the things that we have done um, uh, when, we were, when we were looking to do like a project uh, on census, um, you know, a few years ago, uh, one of our funders actually funded um, different organization as a way of con convening, they, they, I think they call it like a convening fund. And what, what, what that funds were used for is to essentially convene different organizations that make an impact to these communities that they're targeting um, to kind of convene them, one, to build relationships, and two, to organize and prioritize, prioritize and organize their work. So part of what kind of when you both were kind of discussing it kind of, kind of, I have a light bulb in my head. It's like, well, hearing that the city is is still trying to build relationships in these communities, that perhaps a way to look at these fundings is to help invest in building those relationships instead of direct programming. So I'm not sure if that is something that kind of resonated or am I kind of speaking the same line of thoughts that you, you both are thinking that perhaps these set of bucket these, these monies that we have allocated, it's not for direct programming, but rather help invest into kind of bringing people together and then let them, you know, as example, the Pomodoro's network, like to decide what they want, you know, for, for themselves, right, for, for their own community. So 
No, I, I think we're saying the same thing, but I just want to check with you all because that that the the way that I had experienced that that was really, really good, just in my own experience, because I I I had the privilege of being in those conversations that otherwise I never would have done. Uh Jonathan. Yeah, Michelle. I would I would second that, uh, Gildas. I like that a lot. And actually, I wrote that down. Uh, you know that that what I and maybe I, I miscommunicated that the the idea is to actually start building that. That the idea of bringing folks in from the individual uh, communities is to start building that trust and relationship. And I think a, a point that hasn't been made is that. I think there's, we have to differentiate between the communication the city staff is having with different groups and the actual commissioners, um, because we as commissioners are representatives of the community and the community, and we need to build a relationship, a trust with these agencies. They need to see us and hear us and we need to hear them in more so we need to hear them and start to hear what their needs are. So I think well, absolutely, you know, great work has happened and is, is and, and happens all the time with city staff working with the agencies. And, and, and I think I said it earlier, this is a very thoughtful proposal. And I think it's, it's, it's super helpful to get the dialogue going. But to emphasize, I think it is premature. I think we need to start having these groups come in and talk to us. And I don't think that is like, that isn't saying like, this is an ask from the standpoint of, of giving them work to do, this is the work of building relationships and, and, uh, and, and reaching out to, uh, to have a dialogue. Uh, so that's, that's where that's, that's coming from is to, um, to, to have a communication uh, increase between commissioners and, uh, and various groups that aren't, uh, we're not hearing from. Thanks. Okay, Michelle, then Melantha, and then Jen. So I, I agree with uh, Gildas and Jonathan in that um, I was thinking from the beginning when I read uh, the memo um, that I would like to see the students themselves deciding what would be the most meaningful for them. You know, is it uh, a cultural and academic support program that they could run themselves or is it uh, is it an art program or a speaker series? It seems to me I'd really want to hear from the youth and see what what they what they would what would empower them and what they feel would be meaningful to them. Okay, thank you, Michelle, Melinda, and then Jen. Um, I just, I guess I'm being repetitive. I really like the idea of the convene fund. Um, could you kind of talk to me a little bit more about how that went? Because I was just like, it sounded like from what I'm saying, if there was something like that, the funding that we're talking about would be in a fund and that fund would be used to pull different community groups together to have them create this. I mean, it started, it made me kind of think of almost how, literally how politics is run where you propose things, things are thrown out and like the top priorities make it to, to you know, the floor. So I was just wondering, can you tell me more about how that fun worked for you um, yeah yeah so um i can tell you unfortunately i can only tell you high level because i i was not i was one of the participants but one one of the things is that the the funders recognized there were there were organizations they that, that, that they know and also gotten 
like recommendations on where their funding's where where which organization they should invite in as part of this convening to achieve you know a bigger goal uh, of the census and uh, part of it is that you know I think what Annie have have said is that um, the people who went to this convening right who participated as part of this convening was compensated right so I as someone that who was part of it was compensated to go travel and you know and and to for for my time so so that is the encouragement that that I think it just really lowered the barrier of like of, of you know people who are able to participate and in that environment that we're able to kind of come up with a priority and plan so that we can go back to our local levels and execute on so yeah. that's so yeah so I wasn't at that level where like here here's you know make that connection I was in the you know Gildas can go and 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 here we go <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I hope that clarifies. <laughs> yes, uh, that was that that was great. I think it's I think it's a great idea. Thank uh, you, Jen. Okay, I'm gonna summarize what I've heard <laughs> to make sure that we've captured. I feel like it's pretty clear what the direction is, but want to do a temp check. I'm hearing excellent ideas. They could be some of the recommendations we end up with, but we want to back up and find a way to understand what the needs are of these two priority communities in a way that is meaningful, intentional, and we are able to provide compensation to understand what that is, recognizing that kind of to Gabby and Annie's conversation these funds could be an investment in understanding what the priorities are for these two communities and could take potentially years to get that information. But this is a way of being able to invest in those communities and hearing that there could be other ways to bring those different groups to the table using this funding to start the conversation. And that should include youth as well as adults and other folks that potentially are showing up in these spaces with multiple identities. Like they may be black, they may be indigenous. They also could be living with a disability, like making sure that we're not being monolithic about those communities. Or they could be intersectional, you know, and maybe across, right? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Okay. Thumbs up. How about Great. I, I thought that was a very, very excellent exchange of ideas and discussion. So I just want to thank you for everyone for chiming in and um, get to where we're at. So really happy um, of where we're landed. And again, like great work um, just for everybody, and especially you just like kind of coming up with these, your insights and your kind of your list. So really appreciate the work. I do want to add one thing too. Mm -hmm. Um, Annie's role was created to be able to speak to these needs and build the relationships and community. And so I know we keep saying like they're Annie's recommendations, but truly these are reflective of the community's needs that she has learned over her two years at the city. And so just want to remind folks that that is really her area of focus is being able to connect with these different communities, whether it's 
an organizer or a formal group that's receiving funding or maybe a group that is interested in receiving funding and Annie has learned so much and like continues to like bring that knowledge back to our team and we are continuously humbled by these different organizations and groups and folks that you know put us in our place often um and so I just want to acknowledge that I know we keep saying they're her recommendations, but they truly are reflective of everything that she has learned in the last two years, recognizing that her position is a new position. Mm -hmm. So just wanted to give that shout out and reminder. Right. Love it. Okay. So uh, if there's no other uh, discussions on this, um, I believe, Jen, uh, the next topic is yours. So there's this is a, a one-time fu one funding project update. So in 2021 and early 2022, there were some one-time ARPA uh, and CDBG COVID-19 funding. Um, so I believe we 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 were we were there to kind of help allocate or some of them's allocation or recommendation. So Jen is here tonight to uh, update us on those programs. So Jen. I actually have the joy of the entire team is going to share in this presentation. All right. So I'm going to pull up it. my slide deck and get us started, but we'll be kind of jumping around based on different areas of focus. So give me one second here. All right. So as Gildas mentioned, this is a summary of the different funding investments that were decided the end of 2021 and into early 2022. So as a reminder, um, this was made possible because of one-time funding sources. So we received several tranches of funding over the last few years in response to COVID, but the two that we're gonna focus on that we have been investing in um, different organizations and programs over the last year have been through two sources. So that's the Community Development Block Grant funding. Um, they added additional tranches of funding that were specifically in relation to COVID-19. And then the American Rescue Plan Act dollars, which you often hear us say ARPA. There's three priority areas that we focused on that this group discussed um, back in early 2022, and that was housing stability and food, access to healthcare and language access and digital equity. So the presentation tonight is broken up into these three priority areas. We do have about 25 slides. So what we're gonna do is go through each priority area and then we'll stop for questions to give you a little bit of a breakup in the slide and then we'll move to the next priority area. So as I mentioned, the first priority is housing stability and food. So um, this encapsulates quite a few of the programs that did receive funding over the course of the last year, recognizing that housing stability was the number one issue that we hear and continue to hear from organizations, folks that are in the system, um, that rent assistance, affordable housing, um, homelessness, as well as you know being able to continue to have 
our shelter um, operational and be able to continue to accept families, recognizing the challenges that they've faced with COVID and having to deal with increased need while also being mindful of isolation and quarantine. So we'll touch on several programs there and then fresh food. I'm gonna kick it over to Amanda. Thank you, Jen. Hi, everyone. Uh, the first project that we're going to um, discuss is the, the rent assistance phase two. So following phase one of the rent assistance program, which operated roughly between June of 2021 and May of 2022, and recognizing at that time the ongoing impacts of the pandemic on housing stability, the city allotted an additional $1.15 million in ARPA funding towards phase two of the rent assistance program. Uh, this extended the timeline of rent arrears that would qualify for assistance through June of 2022. So this means that rental arrears that were accrued uh, between March 1 of 2020 through June 30th of 2022 were eligible for this assistance. Applications for phase two were extended to qualified households that were served um, first uh, by the first round of assistance, but were still unstably housed in 2022, um, were not served by the King County Eviction Prevention and Rent Assistance Program or EPRAP for short, um, and or residents who contacted the city to be placed on a wait list prior to June 30th of 2022. So to administer this program, the city contracted with three organizations for tomorrow, Indian, Indian American Community Services or IACS and Eastside Legal Assistance Program or ELAP. Uh, those partner agencies received a rotation of referrals and worked directly with residents to determine eligibility, collect documentation and administer rental uh, arrear payments directly to landlords. So phase two of rent assistance was completed um, this last December, December, 2022, um, and was able to assist 32 households with an average of $16,330 in rental arrears paid per household um, that really allowed increased housing stability for Kirkland residents who were experiencing ongoing financial setbacks to COVID-19. So that was rent assistance phase two. The next uh, program also rent assistance. Um, so during the implementation of the rent assistance program that I just uh, described, Imagine Housing notified the city of a 53% rent delinquency, delinquency rate um, that was occurring at their Kirkland properties. Uh, Imagine Housing serves some of Kirkland's most vulnerable residents, including formal, formerly homeless families, seniors, veterans, and those living with disabilities, many of whom are disproportionately Im impacted by COVID-19 um, during the pandemic. So in response, um, council allocated $236,500 in rental relief funding to support the low-income Kirkland households 
um, in need of assistance <coughs> through April of 2022. So between April and August of 2022, the city worked with uh, Eastside Legal Assistance Program to administer rent relief to 57 households, um, averaging about um, $1,994 uh, per household awarded. Next project is uh, also with Imagine Housing, um, specifically uh, with a new position for them, the Community Engagement Coordinator position. Uh, this project provides a two-year grant supporting a full-time Community Engagement Coordinator position at um, both the Francis Village and Athene Communities um, combined. Uh, which are imagined housing properties located in Kirkland. Um, we saw the impacts of COVID-19 created barriers for residents of those properties um, to receive community support due to programming either being paused or moved virtually. Um, and of course, during the pandemic, other needs arose. So the existing staff were supporting um, more case management requests and didn't have capacity to do community building. Um, so that really caused a reduced um, reduced time staff were able to focus on um, creating that needed um, support and opportunities uh, to build community. The lack of support ultimately had a negative impact on housing stability for over 140 households. Um, so funding was allocated to support Imagine Housing in hiring a community engagement coordinator whose role uh, is to support events for residents at Athene and Francis Village that focus on community building, health and wellness programming, lease education, financial stability, support groups, emergency planning, and community meals. Um, funding um, for this uh, position um, is through October of 2023. All right. So the next project is around regional homelessness coordination. So um, there have been several conversations over the last decade and a lot of efforts around streamlining the East Side's response to supporting the different homelessness needs in our community. So different examples of that over the years include how we allocate funding as a collective to ensure shelters are receiving what they need in order to maintain capacity, recognizing the increased need that we've seen over the last decade or so. So there's been a lot of conversation between Redmond and Bellevue and Kirkland around how we can continue to align and streamline efforts to address homelessness. And more specifically, um, the new King County Regional Homelessness Authority, which came and presented to this group in March of last year, um, is online and working to really align and streamline efforts in each of the subregions that they've identified. One of those is East King County. So the cities have hired a consultant to help us work to further align 
where we can increase some efficiencies in order to maximize the impact that we're having with our shelter providers and other ways that we're addressing homelessness holistically. So another way that we're looking at this currently is through investment by the different cities and outreach staff as well. So seeing what we currently have, existing gaps and areas that we can leverage resources in particular in partnership with the new Regional Homelessness Authority. The next one um, supported the Sophia Way, which is the women's shelter here on the east side, um, recognizing that during COVID, a lot of the shelters were impacted pretty significantly by COVID outbreaks on site, um, which led to a lot of uh, fear from staff around exposure and then exposure to their families and that they wanted to continue to show up for work, but they were really challenging conditions and it required a lot of pivoting, long hours, and as well as that fear, I think, especially pre-vaccine around exposure. So we heard from shelter staff the importance of being able to recognize asking staff to continue to show up to support participants. So the city was able to provide hazard pay, which was a temporary wage increase for day center staff at the Sophia Way, which helped um, staff retention, making sure that those that were accessing shelter um, were receiving the resources and support they needed to be able to successfully transition out of shelter. We also have supported Catholic community services, most specifically, or more specifically, um, the New Bethlehem Shelter, which is the family shelter here in Kirkland. Similar to other shelters here on the east side, they had to reduce their capacity during COVID in order to make sure families had their own space um, to avoid any sort of outbreak, which did happen several times at the shelter. So they partnered with the Baymont Hotel, which is fairly close to the family shelter, to um, set aside additional rooms so they could continue to support the capacity at essentially pre-COVID levels, which was about 20 families during COVID. So the city was able to provide additional funds to support that. So they were able to maintain capacity levels and that program is still in place. Um, a really interesting learning that has come out of that program is they have been tracking the families that are currently in the shelter space um, with the families that have been at the hotel and the families that have been at the hotel. So they've had their own room and on-site case management have actually been moving into permanent housing at a faster rate than the folks that are at the shelter. So it's been an interesting learning about the program and the city has been happy to support that effort, um, recognizing the kind of unintended benefit of having to make that change. So the next project we're going to talk about is the youth shelter renovation, which is Youth Haven. Um, that is through Friends of Youth. <clears throat> the budget for that project was $50,000 and they used every penny of that. Um, that was kind of a conversation that like other uh, of these programs or projects came from COVID-19 and things that were learned um, with young people coming in and out of that shelter, it was really hard. Some folks were vaccinated, some folks were not. So it was really hard if 
if someone um, was sick or they needed to quarantine to do that in uh, two of the bedrooms <laughs> that were shared. So th th this funding went to renovating two shared bedrooms um, and create that space. Another thing that came out of the, the, the pandemic that was highlighted was that real need for privacy and personal space, uh, not just quarantining and isolating. Um, so with that, with those funds, they were able to increase the number of bedrooms from six to nine. Um, that really, they really were able to provide those things that they were hoping to, um, and that was completed um, late fall of last year. Next project is fresh food at local food bank. Uh, so the city awarded $100,000 in CDBG um, funds to Kirkland Hopelink Market to provide fresh food, including fruits, vegetables, meat, and dairy products um, made available to food bank shoppers. Um, there are an estimated 3,500 food bank participants that fall into the low to moderate income level um, and utilize the Kirkland Hopelink market. Uh, food bank participants can shop the market twice a month and receive up to two weeks worth of food during each visit. Uh, the scope of this funding is through April 30th of 2023. So that completes the first priority section for housing, stability, and food. Are there any questions about any of the projects that we talked about? Just a high-level question on, um, you know, the one thing we worried about was once they receive these funds and then the funds dry up, where are they left? And has that been a a problem where if it's not a problem now do we foresee like how we're going to fill that gap if they if they filled it with staffing or they filled it with you know whatever services that people got used to then they go away uh, good question um i think we saw that with the 23-24 grant requests um most recently as an example um which is something i think we were really cognizant of i think in looking at some of these program investments we wanted to make sure that the funding that was going to these programs was supporting something in direct response to COVID. So making the assumption that that need would go down, I think that's the case for some of these programs. It's enhanced other programs. And then there are some positions that are time limited, like the Imagine Housing position. And so we were really clear with those organizations, you know, this is in response to something that in theory, we're going to see kind of a retraction of need. And if it's not, let's have the conversation um, and see what we can do. So we tried to be really mindful of that. Um, but I think that's that's a reality that um, we're going to continue to see, I think, this year, as well as when we start to receive applications for 25-26 funding. Uh, I don't know if this this is uh, pertaining to this presentation, but uh, now that we are, you know, the moratorium ended and that these funds ran out already because they were already given, do, do we have a feedback or an idea? What is the impact in the community about, you know, 
homelessness and people losing their houses and all the people that cannot longer live in Kirkland due to the rent increases, you know, it's not like the pandemic is this kind of control and then we somehow see that our lives are going back to normal, but there are many people being impacted as I, I but I have my small thermometer with the people that I know in the community. So we, do we know what is the real impact that this, this COVID uh, effect had about you know people being displaced because they cannot longer afford you know a certain amount of increase of rent or they are losing their homes because they cannot longer they they lost their job permanently. Do we have any idea of that impact? All of those things are currently happening, um, and I think we're seeing a higher demand for rent assistance. We're seeing more um, calls from community members around rent increases um, that are not feasible for their household to adjust their monthly budget to. One of the resources that um, this group is continuing to fund into 23-24 is Eastside Legal Assistance Program, which allows us to staff a full-time housing attorney um, for Kirkland residents specifically. Um, and that position has been amazing in being able to equip tenants with resources if they are faced with any of those challenges. So whether it's working with the landlord to come up with a payment plan or, you know, helping them identify an alternative option um, or being able to, you know, kind of work with the landlord to come in the middle around a certain, you know, if they owe $6,000 in arrears, bringing it down to 3,000 different ways like that. Um, we also um, were able to activate additional funding to several agencies that provide rent assistance in the community, recognizing that that's still a need. Um, in regards to affordability, that's a really hard one because that is an area that there's a lot of factors that play into that. Um, and a lot of the programs that we are investing in are reactive, unfortunately. Um, and I think the more proactive response around affordability leads to a much bigger discussion. Thank you. Melenta. Um, thank you. Um, this is just kind of, I guess you kind of answered it, but not really. It was kind of uh, more, I guess I would say a preventative type of question, but I know we focus a lot on like low income individuals, but something was really brought up um, and it made me think there's so many people that live in our community that are getting misplaced because of these big companies that are no longer needing their services. And will these funds be available for them or are we already going to plan to have funds? I know it's not going to be pandemic, but there's we know there's going to be a whole wave of people that's going to be affected. Sorry. Are you saying folks that are displaced by, sorry, I didn't follow the question. If you can rephrase it sorry, for me. Rephrasing it. I, I can rephrase it. There's, my question is, slash comment is, the pandemic was a wave that caused a lot of people to have housing issues and a lot of other issues. Um, no, we're not having another pandemic, but a lot of these big tech companies that are in our area um, where people aren't necessarily considered low income, 
are going to be significantly affected and put out, are these funds going to be available to them or is it strictly COVID or are we thinking about that already too? So in regards to like the tech layoffs that are happening right now, is that one of the pieces that you're touching on or tech impacts affordability and leads kind to of, displacement? The affordability made me think about the tech and the tech layoffs, which means there's going to be right now we have COVID and people needing rental assistance and all that. But I feel like there's going to be a wave of assistance needed for tech individuals, too, because of what's going on. And I was wondering if these funds are going to be available to them mm-hmm. or it. not. And like then when, I, then when I said like preventative, have we even started thinking about how that's going to affect? And then you kind of answered a little bit saying, well, we kind of are more of a reactive type of body but I was just kind of thinking and talking at the same time. Sure, sure. I think a lot of the tech industry, I think it would depend on where they fall on the income level. So most of the programs that this group allocates dollars tends to fall under about the 60% area median income. So if they fell within that, um, even up to 80% AMI, which for a family of four, I think is about $80,000, $90,000 a year. So Um, They would most likely qualify for some of the programs that this body has recommended funding for. I think if there is interest in looking at funding or programs that is more preventative, more kind of like upstream or, you know, being able to build wealth, right, which is really the only way that you're going to combat affordability, um, that's something we can certainly look at, um, especially with this being an off year of potential like innovative like programs that are happening in other parts of the county that this group could learn about. Um, and if there's any groups that are currently doing that in East King County. Okay. Thank you for answering my question and sorry, it was a little off topic. No worries. Not topic, not off topic at all. Hey, all any right. questions? Please continue, Jen. All right. Second priority area is healthcare access. So touching on three kind of subcategories, behavioral health worker retention, um, recognizing that there was a huge attrition of workers in the sector that have left over the last couple years, behavioral health services specifically for the Latinx community, and then talking about the health fair. Okay, so um, as Jen mentioned, we had two programs that were focused on, um, or two efforts focused on uh, retention bonuses for mental health workers. Uh, I think this group is well-versed on <laughs> not only the issue of the increased need for mental health, but also the um, financial, the low wages that are paid typically to folks that work for um, these nonprofit agencies. Uh, so we um, funded two agencies uh, for the worker retention um effort. So ICRON was um, $76,000. And um, the bonus, obviously, were based on how long um, the employees were with the organization. And for ICRON, it was between $500 and $7,000. And obviously, it was worker retention um, and um, a little bit of recognition for the hard work that all these folks had put in during this time. 
And then the second agency uh, was Youth Eastside Services. Um, that was ten thousand or hundred thousand dollars, excuse me. Um, and, it, and their bonuses ranged between two two hundred fifty and seven thousand uh, dollars. I think this one in particular, a lot of folks here on the commission are aware of the dire need for uh, people that work with with young folks because the um, the damage that has been done based on the, from the pandemic has been um, crazy and they need all the help that they can get. So this is just another way that we're hoping to you know, bolster the efforts that are out there already. And so the next um, agency and program, um, program that has to do with behavioral health services and case management is for tomorrow. Um, and they are focusing on the Latinx community, Hispanic community. So 150,000, just over $150,000 um, allocated to that grant and funding. Um, so that support um, is, uh, that funding supports the life services program. Those services are gonna be provided or have been provided in English, Spanish and Portuguese as well. So we know that the Brazilian community, Portuguese speaking community um, is uh, a growing community in Kirkland and on the East side. So. Um, that is um, a huge help on the on the east side and in Kirkland, um, a very needed service. Um, additionally, there um, uh, this funding went to support a licensed mental health professional that was Spanish speaking, um, and uh, I can say that one of the most challenging um, issues with mental health and finding services is um, uh, clinicians who speak. Are, who speak the language, right? A language. So Spanish speaking um, clinicians are um, a, a challenge to, to come by. So they, uh, For Tomorrow has recently um, hired a mental health professional who is Spanish speaking and also um, you know, uh, able to provide services in a culturally appropriate way. Um, and that process is ongoing and, and uh, we're just finishing up uh, that um, payment process for them. I have the next one too. So the health fair, so this was this was kind of a, uh, a project that is very close to me. Um, the health fairs in Kirkland started in 2021. Um, and uh, that was a, kind of a city organized and city, um, how do I say this? I would not say city led, it was city organized, but it was really the community that led that process and that event um, with lots of community partners um, for tomorrow, um, KCPN, um, uh, YES, lots of community organizations, Lake Washington School District. It was really a, um, a collective effort on the east side. Um, that first fair was, um, pretty successful and, and so much so that the city council um, okayed an additional 40,000 for 2022. And we were able to contract with King County Promotorist Network um, to uh, organize that event. And that took place um, just this last October, um, seeing over uh, 900 folks um, in attendance. So really that was meant to provide the, uh, another opportunity for vaccinations. So not just COVID, um, flu vaccinations as well, health screenings, um, A1C screenings, um, 
uh, dental services um, that really was um, meant to provide free and low cost, but mostly free health services, and also connect um, community with um, local resources. Um, and also, you know, the city was able to, to provide some information on city-specific initiatives like the DEIB five-year roadmap. So um, that completed and um, um, that was very successful. And um, because of that great success, we, we are seeing another two years of funding, $40,000 each year for 2023 and 2024 with KCPN leading um, next this year's, it is this year already, um, this year's uh, Kirkland Health and Wellness Fair and taking on um, uh, more of a mentee um, organization in the process um, to, to kind of share that knowledge that has been gained over the last couple of years and hopefully spread that knowledge uh, wide and far um, so that others can um, participate in these types of events as well and organize them. Questions about priority two programs. I'm not seeing any hands. So we'll jump into priority three. So the last priority was around language access and digital equity efforts in the community. So there were two different avenues that we went to address this priority. The first is through Spanish language video creation and then a series of technology grants to several organizations. So I have the pleasure of being a part of this um, project back when it started. So. Um, I'm not, this isn't a group that we've talked about before, but um, Eastside Pathways is a group that um, a city, the city is a part of among with a bunch of other cities and nonprofits and um, just with the goal of, of making life as best as it can be from birth to adult, I think it's to young adult is the range that they're doing. And um, when COVID hit, uh, typically we had in-person meetings, but when COVID hit, just like everyone else, we had to go online and um, they formed, I think it was five different, what they call CAN groups focused on different areas. So one um, group was focused on housing. One group was focused on um, trying to remember what the other ones were. That's the only one I can remember. And then there was a um, communications group. Um, and this group that I was a part of, we brainstormed on ways that we could um, do a better job of facilitating the communication that came um, from districts, both Bellevue and Lake Washington, to students and their families. I, in particular, had had a conversation with one of my youth council members who um, she was trans, she's a high school student, and she was translating um, the COVID information that was coming from the school district to her parents because her parents um, couldn't understand what the messages and or how to access the messages that were coming out. So uh, one of the ways that we talked about addressing this, this gap was to create these weekly videos um, that are um, hosted, starred by a, a native Spanish speaker. Um, they're part of, why um, I'm drawing a blank, um, It'll come to me in just a second. Uh, and so she uh, does the research. We do all the research to help give, bring the background on topics and these types of things. Uh, and then she 
is like a news anchor and, and reads through everything to provide the and crit critical information um, to those families. It was particularly important in COVID if we can remember in initially how much news was changing and protocols were changing so quickly. Uh, a lot of the non-English speaking families and students were, were pretty much left in the dust because things changed rapidly during that time. Um, and um, so again, the videos are a great way that we were able to uh, get the information out to those families. Uh, one of the other components of this was we had focus groups uh, to check in with the, the um, families that were actually watching these videos and providing feedback on these videos to make sure that they were addressing the needs that the, um, the families had. So particularly when we started phasing out of, of COVID, daily changes, um, some of the other things such as, you know, access to how do I sign up my student for sports or how do I get uh, free and signed up for free and reduced, um, those all became part of the information that was shared too. So the money that we gave, the $7,200 um, was used to pay for uh, 10 videos that were produced um, January through April. Uh, and as I mentioned before, it helped to help those families um, understand not only the what the messages that were being communicated, but also how to navigate the American school system, which can be very complicated um, for for anybody. Uh, so that was I think it was a really great successful project. And you all decided to continue to fund them through this next uh, funding cycle. So it's a Noticias program that um, is partnering with Kids Quest. So I'm up again. I have the next five, um, the digital equity and language access um, projects, starting with Friends of Youth, Accessible Technology and Digital Resources for Young People Experiencing Homelessness. Um, their grant was 20, just under 30,000. And I think that, that, again, COVID highlighted a, an issue that was already existing um, with youth experiencing homelessness and how do they stay connected? Um, how are they um, finding information? How are they able to access services um, when maybe the phone is the lifeline and um, they don't have a charger or um, a laptop that doesn't have a charger? So this project really um, in part um, focused on how we could um, better support um, those youth uh, help friends of youth support those youth in purchasing um, equipment, um, phones, uh, laptops. Um, also, the work that they do with a lot of um, youth who are um, uh, immigrant and refugee youth who are not English speaking. So accessing materials um, um, and supports like Rosetta Stone, right, to, to provide educational um, materials for, for those young people. Um, so this has been closed out already and they expended just about all of that money um, directly um, to providing those items to the youth, um, to youth. Uh, next project, For Tomorrow. Um, for Tomorrow received $22,000 um, for a website update and creation of an app. That app was to be, is going to be used and is being used with a life services program. Um, I think the really um, 
kind of brilliant part of this and beautiful part is that um, they're utilizing youth interns to to create um, this these programs and these apps. Um, and they've also learned a lot about advocating for more inclusive programs. So um, this has been a really great program. Um, some of the advocating that they did was for bridging the gap in mental health services for middle school and high schoolers by creating an informal mental health focused application. And that application plugs into the For Tomorrow's um, formal mental health and life services programs. So um, their goal really was for this app to, to create safe spaces for peer-to-peer -peer interaction, artistic expression, and interaction with the licensed mental health professionals and coordinators. Um, so they've spent um, all but 67 cents of that, <laughs> that whole grant, which uh, was kind of funny, but um, that has also concluded. Um, our next program, or project, um, Improving Navigation Access for Immigrant and Refugee Families. Again, um, another lesson learned with COVID, uh, a lot of the older adults and seniors in the community, specifically um, the Indian community, um, were having challenges accessing those things like COVID um, vaccinations. Um, how are you to sign up or um, get in line for a, a COVID vaccination when that's the barrier is the technology. So they were able to utilize those um, those funds, 30,000, um, to provide that kind of support and guidance and instruction on how um, folks can use these um, the technology to, to find information, to sign up for things like, uh, I believe it was the DART transport, um, uh, also do some research on some of the the work that they're doing out in the parks and the and uh, forestry. So um, they have expended uh, the majority of that. Um, I'm sorry, did I get the wrong one? I mixed them up. Okay, I was I was questioning yeah. it and I wasn't I sure. So up. let me just jump ahead. Thank you. That's wrong what side. I wanted to say. <laughs> Twenty one thousand. I'm like that. That dollar amount doesn't match. So yes, so that navigation was helping the, the Asian Indian community um, and they have expended that entire amount. Going back to the improving navigation access for immigrant and refugee families. This is with Immigrant Women's Community Center. This is a program that is ongoing. Most of this um, funding has been um, used for translation services, um, interpreter services. Um, they have worked with um, uh, webinars and um, trainings like um, youth mental health in the community and um, the rental tenants um, rights um, workshops that were um, uh, organized by ELAP. So this was extended. We recently amended this contract and we're extending, we extended this till the end of April. So there's about $12,000 left in that grant. Um, but the we anticipate that that will be um, completely expended by the end of April. Sorry, there's so many of them that I'm losing track. And the final one is Imagine Housing. Um, and um, that was the improved digital equity access at affordable housing communities. So um, just increasing that uh, ability for uh, the user's need in interpretation services. Um, and that 
8,740 was completely expended. And um, that is the final digital equity and language access program. Questions on priority number three. All right, hearing none, we're just gonna wrap up the last few slides. So there were a few projects that um, we'd originally earmarked funds for and based on staff capacity, agency feedback, um, we ended up not moving forward with the funding and awarding of dollars. So one of the areas that we had identified was behavioral health. So one of the topics when we first received the ARPA funding specifically was to look at a youth mental health first aid training program, as well as a youth mental health awareness campaign. We did begin discussions with different community members and quickly realized that capacity was a pretty significant issue. Um, some of these resources are currently available in the community um, as a resource. And so we actually reallocated these dollars to help meet the 23-24 funding ask from this group. So the, the funding that was earmarked for this went towards behavioral health funding for 23-24 to meet that option C um, gap. The last one here was through Eastside Connects that had received some COVID dollars in 2020, I believe. And in meeting with them right after we had contracted, um, they had shared that what worked in 2020, they had received some community feedback that the platform they were using to connect with different households via texting in different languages was actually something that they were seeing a decrease in utilization. So returned the money to us and asked us to reallocate it into something that was more pressing. So we use that as part of the rent assistance program that Amanda talked about earlier for phase two. So a quick summary of the many programs and agencies that have received funding over the last year. So as a reminder, many of these agencies do receive two-year funding. Some of them do not. So all of this funding was additional one-time funding. It's not part of the 21-22 funding cycle. So we were able to support 15 agencies in total 22 programs with just under $3 million in additional one-time funding. So really being able to make an impact on those three priority areas and to be able to support both staff, equitable programming, and really looking at stability and support moving out of the pandemic. That's it. I don't know if there's any more questions, Jonathan. I was just going to say it's just so impressive, like the amount of really cool, creative, impactful work. It's just <laughs> when you see it in a presentation like that, it's just it's it's uh, it's really great. So, yeah, great work by everybody. And uh, yeah, thank you. All right. Oh, oh, MJ. MJ, you've been awfully quiet. Let's hear it. I you. have. Yeah. What's that about? Um, <laughs> I just wanted to say how cool that was to see the, um, I think it was the group three. I forget. 
um, that a small group of us worked on before the main cycle last year. Um, and I was part of that group. So it was just cool to, to, you know, find out what happened with that money that we allocated. So that's all really, really awesome to see what folks have done with it. Yeah, that's one of the things that I, I was thinking I was going to mention. And then when you're talking, you like it slips your mind, but um, your own commission members here were part of that review panel. Um, MJ Jory, you were part of that. And am I missing someone? Gabby? Gabby was. Yeah, yep. <clears throat> that was a long time ago. So, um, but yeah, so now we're at the end. We're almost done. Only two of those are still um, ongoing. and. Um, it's amazing. I just thought that just the numbers and the impact that we've heard, you know, from from these fundings, like it's it's heartwarming. So um, thank you for recommending and tracking and giving us an update. Um, I think every one of us could use, you know, <laughs> how how do we impact the community? I think this is certainly one way of 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 like receiving the feedback. So thank you, thank you for reporting and thank you for this presentation. Okay, um, if there are no further questions, um, last but not least, any commissioner reports? Gabby, and then I was gonna say Jen, but then it's not that, <laughs> it's not, it's, it's Jory. <laughs> Well, just wanted to share real quick with you uh, about, you know, the ARPA, fund, uh, ARPA funds that are still available out there. Uh, there is now a, a, a availability of the Washington Family Relief Fund, and that is for the whole state. Uh, maybe uh, I'm, see, I'm seeing some heads nodding, so maybe they know better than me, but it's $5 million to support Washington State's more vulnerable low-income family with, with children. And this is funded by the Washington State Department Children, Youth, and Families. So um, it's to provide to up to $250 per child in the household uh, for people that uh, can uh, um, apply and, and, and are eligible. I mean, they, those should, they, they should be the, meet the criteria of living in Washington State uh, and, and having, you know, uh, income requirements of cert, certain, uh, depending on the family members that they have. And the, these um, applications open in last week on February 21st, and it's, they are going to be closed by March 21st. So if you want, I can share the link here in the chat or send it to the commission in case you would like to share it with members of the community that might, you know, be, uh, might beneficiate from getting this information. And if they want to apply for these funds, it's $250 per child if they are selected. And there is a legend here that, you know, they are going to be choosing. I mean, if you request it, that doesn't mean that you are necessarily going to get it because they are not going to have funds for everybody and they are going to prioritize the people that need it the most. So just passing the information because I think it's important and the deadline is coming. That's it. Great, thank you, Gabby. And I believe Jen already sent us uh, in the chat of the website. So thank you, Jen. On to Jory. Uh, Jen number two. 
Um, so PFEC, the Parks, Parks Funding Exploratory Committee is having its last meeting this Thursday. And how that relates to the Human Services Commission is that they're talking about different programs such as like events or funding that might affect like KTUB, uh, different programs that might involve inclusion. Uh, the big the big ask or big potential ask would be for a uh, aquatics facility. Um, but basically the last meeting is discussing whether we should um, put up a big ask in a ballot and if so, how, and uh, give that feedback to the city. But that's uh, going to culminate in two days. Uh, any questions? Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Jory. Great update. MJ. Um, I wanted to comment or sort of weigh in on something that happened at the last meeting because I missed it. Is that a legit use of this time or should I do that by email or something? Um, I would say if if it's a, a well, without knowing the topic, I think it might be best to to send it to maybe Jen and I. Okay. And then and then we'll go from there. Cool. Thanks. We'll do. Yep. All right. Any other commissioner reports? All right. Any staff reports or announcements? I have two. Um, one is we are very close to making an offer for someone for the homeless outreach coordinator position, which is really, 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 really exciting. Um, so hopefully we will have an update at next month's meeting um, and a timeline of when someone will be on board with that position. The other update is, as you know, um, the city clerk's office is running recruitment for commission seats right now. So um, we will have an update on that at the next meeting, I believe, because their council is doing interviews mid-March. So we will have an update there. I'm sorry, for what? For um, vacant seats for the Human Services Commission. Oh, we we're still have vacant seats? So there are a few seats that the terms end March 31st, 2023. So mm -hmm. if a commissioner is choosing not to run for re-election, their seat would be open. Michelle. Hey, Michelle. Sorry about that. Um, so uh, my term ends in March. And while I would love to run again, because it's just been a great experience, it's felt so meaningful, and I've learned so much from everyone. I found that uh, with my current uh, position, uh, working for Zero Waste Washington and also running a nonprofit, uh, working with uh, Indigenous women, I'm feeling very, uh, I, I'm realizing <laughs> that time is, is, uh, is very tight. And so, so maybe again in the future, but I will, won't be running for another, uh, for another term after March. MJ. And then Jonathan. 
Uh, same thing for me. I have decided not to run. And um, like Michelle, it's not because I hate you guys. <laughs> um, this has been really meaningful and I have loved it and I love the work. Um, but I also feel like there are so many fantastic people in the community who have so much to contribute to this. And um, one of the things I've learned from this com community is that there are so many people who are plugged in to this sort of sub-communities of Kirkland and can can speak better than I can about what some of the human services needs are. So I'm really sort of stepping down because I think, um, you know, there just should be more folks and more folks coming through. So nothing personal. And I hope to keep in touch with all of you. Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, I just, I knew that Michelle was stepping off, but I didn't know MJ was. So man, I just want to thank you for all your hard work and commitment and dedication and showing up every month. and your contributions, all your good feedback and input. So uh, we're gonna miss you. And I've really enjoyed uh, working with you. And I just hope that uh, we continue to stay in touch outside the uh, commission on other uh, projects and opportunities to advance uh, uh, social justice. So um, yeah, thank you. Yes, so and now, I, oh, go ahead, Jen. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna, just echoing, you know, Jonathan's feedback that, you know, it's been a pleasure working with you both, Michelle and MJ. And uh, I am sure we'll see each other in uh, Kirkland events. Um, so you're, you, you both are not going far and we're going to make sure. <laughs> Thank you, Gildas. Thanks, Jonathan. So now that everyone knows, we will have two seats that are vacant and open. I just wanted to make sure they had space to share that information. The other term that is up the end of March was the youth seat, but because we just filled that, Chloe is planning on seeking another term since she just started. Okay. All right. Um, if there are no, um, Jen, did you have one more? Well, okay. Okay. So with that, I think that concludes our meeting tonight. So I will need a motion to adjourn the meeting. So moved. Thank you, Jonathan. Do I hear a second? I second. Thank you, Melenta. All right. Thank you, everybody. Well, we'll see you all next month. Have a good night. Okay. Peace. Bye. Bye. Bye.